1: This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you, who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase Mobile App is available for select
0: mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. JPMorgan Chase, NA member,
1: FDIC 2024, JPMorgan Chase & Co. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big
0: idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape. And we'll trace it through all the mediums we love.
1: Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts.
0: Hey everyone, welcome to Talk Easy, a weekly podcast of intimate interviews with the people shaping our culture. I'm Sam Fergoso. thank you for tuning in. A reminder off the top, if you can, do kindly consider giving us a review on iTunes. I'm not even saying to give us a review on iTunes, just maybe, you know, consider giving us one. Reaching new listeners when a show is new like ours is really incredibly hard, so anything you could do to help us grow would be much appreciated. This week on the podcast, we have beloved novelist, poet, and filmmaker Sherman Alexie. Born on an Indian reservation in Spokane, Washington, Alexie is unafraid to write what he knows while still daring to venture outside his comfort zone. A great deal of his books revolve around Indian Americans of all varieties, from poverty-stricken natives on the reservation to middle- to upper-class college freshmen leaving home, and their ancestry to start anew. In the case of his most critically and publicly acclaimed book, The Absolute True Diary of a Part-Time Indian, the protagonist is, essentially, Sherman himself. The 2007 National Book Award winner is about a quick-witted, bookish teen who begs his parents to leave the reservation to attend an all-white, private high school. This pretty much parallels Sherman's childhood, which, in conversation, he describes as simultaneously joyful and painful. When we sat down, we talked about the criticism he often faces from the reservation, the need to be seen, and how, maybe, Bernie Sanders is not as revolutionary as we've made him out to be. But first, we start with the fun stuff the depression and loneliness that affects Sherman's life and work. So, finally, here is Sherman Alexi i rarely read outside of the curriculum in high school. Uh-huh. But for some reason my mom bought your book. I don't know why. <laughs> what a crazy idea that was. Uh, she saw it and she's like, oh maybe that just that sounds funny, sounds interesting. She brought it home. And again, inexplicably, I read I read it in its entirety. And throughout high school it was pretty much in the top three of like ah, the books uh, I loved. Cool. Um, and I think it was the loneliness of it i definitely identified with that i was like god damn i i just moved to california okay and people who listen to this show kind of are familiar with that narrative but i moved i didn't know anyone i and you know it, it does what great literature or movies or
1: any art does it makes you feel just a little bit less alone a friend and i had a very similar email conversation about this we were both trying to uh we we're trying to we got happy or at least sane when we turned our childhood loneliness into adult solitude <laughs> and the difference between transition. loneliness and solitude that solitude is something powerful and, and and energizing and and renewing and loneliness is just sad yeah and self-destructive so uh and you don't feel that loneliness anymore. Oh, constantly. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> not. I'm not an adult yet, <laughs> yeah. so no. I, I mean was maturity there. I, yeah, was. I mean, because I mean the weird thing is, I've created this job where I'm alone all the time. Right. That's the job of being a writer. Yeah, and I don't think I don't think people understand that, uh, and in and fact, that the more successful you get, the more time you're going to spend alone. Right. Because you're going to be on the road promoting your books. You're going to be going to colleges to speak. Uh, and, and I mean, I have 2 million flyer miles over the last 24 years. You're like George Clooney and up in the air. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, I'm not, a little better yeah. with metaphors and yes. not, and not, about 12% as handsome. So 12% at less handsome. No, 12% as handsome, oh, okay. <laughs> as handsome. Okay. As handsome. Okay. As handsome. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, like I'm in the 12th percentile. Yeah, yeah, he's a, he's like, in the ninety nine. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and and it's it's you know if you have a substance issue if you have an addiction issue if you know if you're a, have mental problems emotional problems and you're in the midst of being a writer it just it just it, it makes it worse right i think that's why so many writers fall apart and less so now though it's interesting because, because if, so? Less, yeah, so? less so i think because we have more medication uh-huh. i think hemingway would have really been better off in this era because somebody would have been doping him with uh-huh. with you know some serotonin controlling substance or another. At least right. that's my hope is that he'd be a happier dude because we know more right about the various mental illnesses that can uh, harm artistic minded folks. But you know this firsthand, right? I mean, you, oh yeah, you, I'm bipolar you, and and
0: manic depressive.
1: Yeah, right? yeah. I mean that's that's the. Uh, uh, Old term for it, which is actually much more descriptive, much more poetic, manic depressive, yeah. says more about what it is than bipolar. Mm-hmm. Bipolar makes it seem geographical. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have used that adjective. But yeah, I mean, we're
0: jumping right into it, but I, I, you know, has it gotten better?
1: Has it gotten better for me? Yeah. Like, is it easier now? Well, I'm medicated. Well, the big thing is the big, biggest difference. Uh, and being diagnosed and medicated mostly properly, because it, it varies. Right. I mean, you're really trying to catch up all the time to your own brain. But I sleep. Uh-huh. I sleep. And that wasn't a thing you were doing? No, I, I was an insomniac for from the age of six till the age of uh, 30 or 41. My so God. for 35 years, I was an insomniac. Uh-huh. And then... About three months after getting the right combo of drugs, what is that? I slept
0: like a cocktail of drugs
1: yeah, I take three different things uh-huh. i mean i have i'm a you know i am a uh if you if you if you put medals on the chest of the mentally ill you know some people would be private first class and some people would be <laughs> five star generals <laughs> I'm somewhere in the middle uh-huh. of the mental illness medals. You keep a sense of humor about all of this. Oh well, I mean you have to. I mean, no, you don't have to. Well, well then you then you turn into an asshole. Yeah. You either become I mean if you don't I mean if you, I mean granted my case is not so bad that it leaves me on the streets. Yeah. You know it 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 you know. But it certainly gives me more empathy for people on the streets when I see them. And Mm -hmm. I think, well, they have what I have. They just have it worse. Right. Uh, But in order to survive it, you have to be funny about it, for me at least. And I mean, it's all connected to being Native as well. I mean, I'm not only uh, mentally ill. I'm a reservation-raised Native American, and that stuff bleeds into each other. I Uh mean, I could possibly be mentally ill because— I'm a reservation Native American, you know, the descendant of genocide. Does that do it? Uh, you know, they, there's a study I read about, I think it was John Hopkins, where they took these rats and they subjected these rats to electric shock.
0: I never they... like when people compare human beings to rats, yeah. but go ahead. I'm, I'm okay and I... with it.
1: <laughs> and, uh,
0: <laughs> that says something about you and I. I yeah,
1: exactly. I'm okay <laughs> with comparing myself to any animal. Uh, <laughs> and and they, they subjected them to a shock an uncomfortable shock when they went into a certain room. And so they, this this generation of rats, they did this to. And then those rats had babies. And then the babies were put in that situation, and the babies avoided that room without having ever been taught by their parent rat to avoid that room. So the memory of that pain was in the DNA. Ah. Huh. Uh, And there have been other studies, psychological, poetic, poems, literature about that idea that pain is genetic, Mm -hmm. that the memory of pain is genetic. So when you're talking about a people, Native Americans like me, like all the rest of us in this country, the the memory of the genocide, the memory of the massacres, the memory of the loss – is in our DNA and then add that on top of the loss we actually experience in our own time. Right. So it's exponential. It's a lot. It's exponential. So how could we not you know have mental and emotional problems? When did you know as as a kid? I mean You know, you look back once you get the official diagnosis and then you look back. Then
0: you figure out that.
1: that. You think, well, hey, maybe when I was seven and would stay up all night, that probably wasn't a good thing. Mm. So, I mean, I was six, seven, eight when I would stay up all night, obsessed with something.
0: Uh What were you obsessed about? Oh,
1: projects. Sometimes they had, sometimes it was school. Sometimes one of the things I would do is I would get graph paper and I would color in the squares. I would stay up all night filling in graph paper, uh-huh.
0: and and just just because you like graph paper,
1: and just because I needed to do that, the obsessive nature of it. Right. The, the the I mean, I have obsessive compulsive disorder too, mm-hmm. but the idea, and I think trying to have structure, trying to finish something, and then just this energy pouring out that I needed to express in some way, and I had less options. When you're an eight-year-old, you don't have a whole lot of options for a manic period. Right. And I don't even, you know, looking at the literature now, I don't think they even believe that an eight-year-old can be bipolar. I don't, yeah. But it's, certainly I was obsessive. And uh, what what was I? Was I pre-bipolar? Was I pre-depressive? Mm-hmm. I don't know. But I, I knew, <laughs> I mean, there's so many words you get to have now for what you are. Yeah. I had no words back then other than weird. You were just called weird. I was weird. Does your
0: narrative of leaving the reservation follow the protagonist in the absolute true diary? And that, you know, like, kid goes to school and sees his. He's using the same textbook as his mother.
1: Yes, that happened.
0: Exactly. So that so this is not semi-autobiographical. It's this, pretty this, autobiographical. This is, yeah.
1: It took me a year to get up the courage to leave, though. In the yeah. book, he leaves immediately. Uh-huh. But, but in my real life, it took me a year. What was that year like? Uh, pretty bad, because in order to gain the courage, I was telling everybody around me that I was leaving. Hmm. So I turned it into a ceremony.
0: Oh, like a Kobe Bryant goodbye year oh, round. God,
1: I hate Kobe Bryant. <laughs> That's so... Oh, my God. Is that what I did? I did a Kobe Bryant farewell turn. No wonder yeah. they beat me up. Yeah. I deserve to get beat up. I deserve to get beat up. I, I was being I, Kobe Bryant. I
0: immediately, when I say Kobe Bryant, I'm like, God damn it. I, did I just compare <laughs> him starting anew and, and leaving the reservation to Kobe Bryant?
1: You know, like, and, but I mean, but I think... I think it's apt. I think that's how I probably I was perceived.
0: You were by the other people hated by most, but really talented and
1: gifted. Uh, hey, and it was a completely selfish move on my part to leave. To leave, completely individualistic. But how old are you here? Thirteen.
0: You're thirteen.
1: Yeah, there was no teamwork involved though, and yeah. that's a thing. But I was part of a tribe. Right. I was part of a tribe with all those social expectations.
0: But when, but Sherman, when has a teenager ever acted anything but selfishly?
1: Uh, well, but we don't get to have that. Nobody talks about us that way. Mm. We don't get to have those discussions about ourselves as Native Americans. Everything about us from birth till death is, 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 is put in terms of the tribe, put in terms of, well, how Indian is that? Huh. Uh, you know, we live inside this giant Edith Wharton novel where – there's so many sh- social manners and rules. I mean, people, white liberals especially, love to think of the Native American world as so free flowing, you know. And, and it's not. It's yeah. incredibly rigid um, yeah. and conservative. Tribalism, by definition, is fundamentalism. Right. So I grew up in a fundamentalist environment, so that even making what would be viewed by the rest of the world as something typically teenager, we don't get that luxury in our culture of thinking of it that way.
0: But you got the luxury.
1: Well, I had amazing parents. Mm-hmm. As as dysfunctional and alcoholic as they were, they let me go.
0: Why dysfunction?
1: Pain, agony, mental illness. Was it they, weren't happy, they weren't happy with each other? Oh, I don't know if they were happy with each other. I don't know if they were happy with anything. Oh. So, but they. Is that
0: a common thing in in, in reservations?
1: I think that's a common thing in the whole world. What's what's the divorce rate in the United States? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) My family, yeah. yeah, (laughs) Are your parents together? No. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So, is that a common thing with white folks in the Bay Area? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not from the
0: Bay Area, but. but, uh, Yeah. You know, my parents, my mom and my dad. Hi, mom. Hi, dad. Because I know they're listening. They uh, split up when I was one. Ooh, so, so I, I don't remember that. So
1: you you don't you didn't have the fracture. I mean, you had no, other fractures. Yeah, so, yeah but the, but the stuff, marriage fracture.
0: No, I had other marriage. Like, like we can go on and on. Did about, they
1: punish each other?
0: No, no, no. They were good to each other. Okay. Yeah. What about your parents?
1: Oh no, they were always nice to, to each other. To each other. Yeah. But not to you. No, they were nice to me. Uh. They were just sad. Uh. I mean, you grew up sad because they felt trapped. Trapped because of their lives. I mean, my dad's, my dad's dad died in Okinawa in World War II mm. when my dad was five. And then his mom died of tuberculosis six months later. So my dad was an orphan raised by his grandparents. Uh. So ex- ex- extensive loss. And then what we talked about earlier, the genetic memory of genocide, right. racism. My mom got married at 15 and had a baby at 16.
0: So when you tell them, I have to go. I can't be here anymore. Yeah they're okay with it
1: they said okay and then for five but it, years but you were you are an
0: outlier here right i mean this, oh, is, yeah. this is unprecedented yeah so you just got luck to could complete luck that you have two parents Ooh. in that tribe who are like okay
1: okay and, and then they did all sorts of things over the next five years to make sure i could keep going to school there yeah
0: they weren't upset
1: i mean of course they were upset and sad. I mean, when I mean I have a 19-year-old and a 14-year-old now and oh. they'll be leaving. Yeah. It's coming. Yeah. And how, how do you feel about that? And I'm sad. Yeah. But I know it's necessary. Yeah. And and usually that doesn't happen when your kid is 13. <laughs> no.
0: No, and, it doesn't. Yeah. And
1: that and that and that they knew and I think I knew that in leaving at 13, I mean, I still lived at home, but I went to a different school. Mm. I think in leaving the reservation that way, I think they knew I was gone forever, that I was fundamentally changing my destiny.
0: You went to a predominantly white It was school. completely white. Completely white. <laughs>
1: my first year there, it was me. Yeah. <laughs> and then my sisters, and then a friend, and over the years, a few more folks. But when I went there, I was the only brown person in the entire building.
0: Mm. Do you have a particularly vivid memory from that, that has not been written in that book, because <laughs> that book is you. We, I think we, you and I can both say the semi. Oh, yeah, no, that book this, is the semi-autobiographical is bullshit. It
1: is <laughs> well, no, because it's it's not bullshit because there are invented. Okay, I'm sure there are. There's inventions. I believe There's it. enough inventions to call it fiction. I'm not saying you're not. Creative. And he's smarter than I was. Well, he was more self-aware. Yeah, I was very reflexively acting. Mm-hmm. I wasn't pondering the future. I was just. Saving my ass. (laughs) So uh, – but a moment I – well, I mean, I – I mean, it's like some of the profound racism. It's not in the book. Maybe I'll make it into the sequels if I ever finish them. But I was in the Future Farmers of America and there was speech contests Uh and I was really good at that speech and I was a heavy favorite to – win state. Mm-hmm. And in the semifinals, uh, I spoke and it, it was extemporaneous a speech where you'd get a topic and then you'd have twenty minutes in a room to write a speech. Oh. And then you'd have to deliver a twenty minute speech with twenty minutes of writing. And now you knew there was like two hundred topics. You knew all the topics you could possibly get. Right. So but still, I mean it's an incredible test of of, of
0: That's a lot. That's quick.
1: Yeah. And I was good at it. Uh And uh, semifinals, I did it. I got up. I did well. And then there was five judges. Uh, Three of them had me in first. One of them had me in second. And one had me in fifth out of five. Hmm. And it ended up being when you added up all the scores up that I ended up in third place. Yeah, right. And didn't go to state finals. And we got the judges' scorecards back. And that judge who put me in fifth uh, said, well, he needs a haircut. He has a funny accent. And all these things that she graded me down on were all physical appearance things, Uh physical manifestations, and had nothing to do with my speaking ability, nothing to talk with my subject matter. Uh, uh, It was a racist move. Mm. And so... One of the most important things to me doing that contest, I didn't get to go on to state because of a racist judge. What was her name? I don't remember. Huh. And so and I ran into that a lot, you know, even in the community, just racist moments like uh, folks who didn't like it when I was captain of the basketball team mm. because they thought they would say, well, it should be a, kid who's from here (laughs) which which uh,
0: has almost never been said like that's like such a strange qualification yeah they most high schools recruit people from out of state
1: and so yeah and those people
0: become the captain a kid
1: from here so uh what
0: i mean how do you respond to stuff like that
1: well when you're a kid you can't i was alone uh I mean, that's a powerless feeling against it. Because the thing is, I mean, there's one person or two people or four people saying it mm-hmm. aloud. But you have no idea how many people think that way. And you have no allies in it. Maybe now they do. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I, I am still – and the thing is you get trained that way too. So even now – when I run into situations like that or feel that sort of thing happening. Do you hold
0: yourself back?
1: No, I don't look for allies. Oh. <laughs> no, I fight now. I'm very loud. <laughs> so, but I, I I, don't think to think about allies. Do
0: you don't look for allies now because you think you wouldn't find them?
1: I don't know. It, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I was in the green room for the writers here and a writer came up to me and She and she's younger, and she said, uh, "You know, thank you for, thank you for being here all these years." And I said, "What do you mean?" She goes, "Well, she goes, well, look in this room, this green room. I I bet when you started, you were the only brown person in the room, weren't you?" And and I said. You know, 20 years ago, 22 years ago, I was almost always the only brown person in the room. And now, you know, things have changed. Now, half the people in the room are brown. But I used to be alone. And I've never, I mean, I'm going to start, I've never had another writer acknowledge that. I mean, it was, I mean, what just happened an hour and a half ago was, you know, I'm I haven't had time to think about it. Now I'm thinking about it. It's really one of the most important moments in my literary career is being seen and being recognized and the accumulated weight. I mean, we started talking about loneliness when we started, right? Yeah. I mean, the loneliness of being the only brown person in the room. Uh, And even when there's a lot of brown people, you're almost always the only Native American. Right, the only one, and this woman, this black woman, saw me. Uh, and it's been really hard uh, the last few years, just in cultural changes inside. I mean, I'm I'm turning fifty, and I was teasing you guys before we started talking about, I mean, this new generation of. Uh, you know, brown liberals, brown-skinned liberals, radicals who are amazing and wonderful, and I love what they're doing and their energy, but uh, I get catch some grief because I'm part of a previous generation, uh, and other writers like me catch grief huh? because, because we're older, huh? and so the generational stuff hurts. And it hurts, know, look, it hurts you. Yeah. And seeing... You know see I mean I see like they create you know, there's these you know they have these multicultural groups of writers who have banded together as artists and activists and I mean and I'm like I, nobody even asked nobody even asked me to join that because there wasn't we were fighting for crumbs uh, and now there's they have such. Power and community and and visibility and I'm jealous of the community they get to have and I get sad when I get judged for not having had what was never available to me
0: Hmm. how do you pass that?
1: I don't know Uh, maybe you don't I think it's probably a function of every community, right? Generational differences. Mm. Uh and, you know, and there's some old rowdy people. Maybe I'll become even rowdier. I'll become <laughs> one of those grandpa, grandpa <laughs> lefties, you know, SWAT net people with McCain <laughs> metaphorically and literally.
0: You wrote a lot of books before the uh, Absolute True Diary.
1: Yeah. <laughs> 22 of them? Yeah. <laughs> And Yeah, I mean, I'm still more leftist than all of them. You know, know, that's the one thing that gets me mad, too, is the – I'm baffled. I'm baffled by the – you know, they're they're baffled by why I – you know, like really, Sanders or Clinton to me are interchangeable. Mm -hmm. Interchangeable. I mean, I I bet I could give a – I bet I could right now reel off 20 tweets – by Clinton and Sanders, and nobody would be able to tell me who wrote which one.
0: <laughs> huh. You wouldn't. Uh, and you think... Uh, <laughs> that's not where I was going to go with that, but I like that you went there.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't... I would... I would I, the most committed Sanderite, I bet you I would fool them with Hillary Clinton's tweets. <laughs> They'd go, yeah, Bernie, yeah, Bernie. And then I'd say, well, actually... That was Hillary. It could
0: be a test. You could could do that.
1: Yeah. And and it's not that I'm some big fan of hers. It's just that there's no revolution happening with Bernie Sanders. Mm -hmm. He's an old, white, multi-term United States senator from Vermont. There is nothing revolutionary about him. You give me a lesbian latina to vote for for democrat the democrat nomination then then I'll believe your revolution is happening. Hmm. So uh you give me a single lesbian Latina, not even a married one, because pretty soon, married gay people are going to be boring. So, uh, you know, we, we've got about two years of coolness for married gay people, and then they're going to be just as politically boring as us straight married people, uh, which is going to be an awesome moment in, in civil rights history when when gay marriage is as boring as straight marriage. I don't know if that's ever going to be in history textbooks. Uh, yeah. So, but uh, in
0: 2022, it appeared that. It's all boring when you're married.
1: Yes, exactly. Uh, and uh, uh, but until then, you know, until then, it's incremental steps. Right. And I think the fervor for revolution is real and beautiful and powerful, and we so want it that we've assigned this dude all this power and all this poetry when he doesn't deserve it. <laughs> He's a standard leftist guy. A little more left. Uh, he's not more left than me. You want me to call a guy who's not more left than me revolutionary? No, but Sherman, you're not a <laughs> senator. You had no
0: senatorial <laughs> aspirations, and and then exactly right. But it's kind of good you didn't, because you have to do the thing that you are particularly good at
1: yeah so so and and the thing is i would be deliriously happy if he was the president bernie yeah i'd be incredibly happy uh (laughs) and and then as i was incredibly happy when obama got elected
0: right did that feel revolutionary to you
1: yeah and because of because of his race right not because of his politics Mm. and then look what happened he became a president of the united states you know what the president of the united states has to do Number one has to govern a country of incredible political diversity.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Also, presidents have to bomb people.
0: Right. They don't have to, but it seems that it's kind of inevitable.
1: There's a choice they have to make. Right. And they're, in fact, they're making choices we don't even know about, yeah. and they're protecting us from things we don't even know about.
0: Some things I don't want to
1: know about. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I end up standing like exactly. Are you Nicholson. disappointed
0: with his run? No.
1: No. That's just the thing that happens, though, is that the far left is mm. disappointed with him. I think he's been a B-plus, A-minus president. That's pretty good. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah.
0: Who was the last B-plus, A-minus president?
1: Uh, FDR. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, 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 and the things that would happen is Bernie's, Bernie would come in with all the fervor that Obama did behind him, and then Bernie would have to govern Hmm. And then Bernie would run into all the same problems of being even more problems, I think. Yeah, right. I think his leftist politics would actually meet more resistance than Obama's b- blackness. Uh, probably because Obama is actually, uh, you know, he's a middle of the he's a he's a he's a, he's a moderate lefty.
0: Left leading, yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. He's left. He's not a moderate. He's a moderate lefty. Right. There's a difference, yeah, and 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 you seem particularly riled up about this. Uh, it, it's it's I mean the Bernie thing is a bunch of white people yet again telling me what I'm supposed to think. Mm-hmm. And you've had this through your whole my whole life is is whether it's white conservatives or white liberals telling me what I'm supposed to think. Hmm. Uh, give me a brown leader. I had one. He had eight year good years. Now give me another one. Right. I'm, yeah. If, 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 okay. if, so if these Bernie acts actually want a revolution, then then next time, let's see you support that lesbian Latina. I think I'm I'm in favor of that. Yeah, and doesn't have to be lesbian Latina. Just give me well, just, give me give me a Spanish speaking brown woman. You say it and if you know if you build it, they will come. Exactly. So bring me that. <laughs> you know. Make that happen, all you, all you white people listening to this, because you have all the power.
0: <laughs> putting it at me?
1: Yeah, that's what, that's also what I mean. It, it's it's.
0: You feel powerless still?
1: No, not me, but my people are. Mm. I don't feel powerless at all. Yeah, I actually have a lot of social, political power. You do? Yeah. So no, it's not me. I'm talking about brown people in general. Mm. Uh, it's not brown people leading this.
0: Mm-hmm. Let uh, me ask you: When you go, what is the reservation's response to to your work? And, that's, uh, and obviously, that's you know, a, in the early years question. it was rough. In the early years right. it was rough. Before, I, before, because the the reason I mentioned that you had written all those books is that like most people did discover you as I did through the young adult book. Yeah. Which I'm still wondering how you felt about that.
1: Oh, it's awesome.
0: Oh, okay, good. Yeah. I don't know. You wrote a lot of other stuff, a lot of really great stuff.
1: Oh, yeah, but I mean, I'm I had that great career. I still have a great career. Yeah. And those great books. If I'd never written True Diary, I'd still have a great career. Yeah. So no, I'm I'm happy with it all. And the great thing is is watching the younger readers who read my Teen book. I mean, it's been uh uh 9 years now. Yeah. Oh. So so I'm watching what's happening now is that people who read me in junior high are graduating college. <laughs> and and But the thing that happens is, is they, they read that book, and then as they get older, they find my other books. Mm. So it's been amazing to – I just don't have fans from different generations now. I have fans as they move through their own generation. Mm-hmm. Like That's I, kind of
0: beautiful to see, right? Yeah,
1: that people who are with me now – there are 14-year-old people who are now you know 23 years old and they've been with me the whole time mm. so it's it's amazing and now i think because i've written a picture book i think wow what what if what if eventually bit. eventually like yeah. 20 years from now you are planting the seed i'm going to meet some person who said i first read you for the first time when i read thunderboy junior the picture book mm-hmm. my mom read it to me my mom, I love that book. My mom, I'm gonna hear that someday. Some kid is some kid, some twi- some college graduate's gonna say to me, "My mom read your picture book to me all the time." You know what's
0: amazing, Sherman? Is that how excited you are? <laughs> and I don't, I don't, I don't mean that in any sort of sarcastic way. I mean yeah. it completely, genuinely. It's like, um you know, I do, like I do a lot of these, yeah, and uh people just don't want to express like the goodness of their career, like then the good things that are happening. Oh. And like, they, 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 it's not, it's not even about humility. It's just like, they don't, they almost don't acknowledge that it even exists. Oh. And there's so much like excitement. And I wish I could, <laughs> I, there was like a video of you <laughs> so people could
1: see this. But, uh, well, I mean, you know, the thing is politics, we're just talking politics and it makes me feel sad and cynical. Right. And it makes me get, it makes me get angry. You were angry. Yeah. It, and it does because, it, and the thing is, it does it to everybody. Yeah, because it it's supposed to, and it doesn't work. I mean, mm. the thing is, really, the thing is, the thing, when it comes down to is when you're talking, if you really want a representative democracy, if you want a country that represents the will of the people, very little should ever happen. Stagnation. Everything should be incremental. Incremental,
0: which people then in turn perceive as stagnation.
1: Right and 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 in fact in the united states incremental has sped up mm. i mean it's sort of been this thing where social change happened over decades and then it was over years and then it was over i mean i am astonished how fast gay marriage became federal mm-hmm. astonished that this country grew up that quickly and i think that's going to continue to happen but 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 it's still fights 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 and nothing feels good. Even when something I agree with happens, it doesn't feel good. Like when, when Sanders or Clinton defeat Trump in the fall, and it's going to be Clinton. When she defeats, it's going to be so filled with anger and frustration all over the place. Uh, and, and it's just going to feel ugly. But today, in Berkeley, I read my book outside in the park here. And I had kids reading with me, performing with me four kids who had volunteered. <laughs> and then as I was reading the end of the book, a th- like she was maybe three, three year old girl ran out from the crowd and was standing there. And I held the mic up to her. And then she started reading the book with us. <laughs> How could, I mean, the, the collected joy of the storytelling in that moment drew that little girl, pulled her into wanting to become part of the story, too. Just beautiful and amazing, and there's no way to feel cynical about it.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's no way you can turn that.
1: It was just beauty. And, and in my career there, I mean, and I forget, I forget, I get so wrapped up in the minutia of my job as a writer Of of promotion and book selling and numbers and royalties and I get wrapped up in it sometimes but um, invariably uh, somebody will show up with and do something that is so spectacular to remind me of why I'm doing it Mm -hmm. that little girl yesterday in Dallas a native woman named Jody had read about how much I liked Prince and how sad I was Mm. about his death she made me a beaded Prince Button. Wow. (laughs) That's nice. So I know through books I can change the world because I have read so many books that have changed my world. I know I can do it there. I know I can make a positive contribution to human beings. Yeah. in a way that I never could with politics.
0: And it started in part, I think, with the songs from this earth on Turtle's Back.
1: Right. I just know.
0: Yeah. When you open that book, is that when the light bulb?
1: Haha! <laughs> that anthology of contemporary Native American poetry. That was in 1987. What is that? 29 years ago? Yeah. Open that book up and... 29 years, so that's... yeah. Sweet.
0: 20? Yeah, read a
1: book. First time I read poems by Natives. Anything written by a contemporary Native American. First time ever. And the the one poetry line that killed me by Adrian Lewis, friend of mine now, Paiute Indian. Oh, Uncle Adrian, I'm in the reservation of my mind. I'm in the reservation of my mind. I read that and that was it. Boom. I knew I, I this is what I want to do. I want to write things like this.
0: Did you think you were going to use that and put it in the first chapter of Ten Little Indians?
1: Oh, I had no concept of that at all. Uh, I'd had no concept that this was going to happen to me, Who, but this career is done. I mean, how could a—I mean, that we. I laugh because, you know, some, sometimes you hear that thing, oh, you're, you're just pandering, you're right, yeah, you know, oh, you're successful, and I laugh. I said, yeah, I was 20 years old, and I thought, you know the way to fame and fortune— <laughs> Homes about native americans people, are gonna, love it.
0: Pe- people are gonna eat that up it's gonna be like jane austen novels. they're gonna eat that up.
1: yeah i mean so uh and and well yeah i i just i love my job i love my job i love my job i love my job
0: and it's never wavered
1: it wavers but
0: when from, does, the, from when, beginning when to when end does, when does that
1: happen when it was a waiver? Yeah. You know, the worst thing that ever happened to... I uh, mean... I live in... You know, Native American world is very gossipy. All worlds are gossipy. Mm-hmm. But Native American world is very... Because it's so small. Uh-huh. And we all know each other.
0: And plus you've broken the threshold.
1: And what hurts the most and what most often makes me feel like giving up or hating my job is when i get criticized by other native americans in, un- in unfair ways mm. that hurts the most
0: does that yeah. happen often yeah uh like, like what are the criticisms
1: no! it comes out of the same stuff i got when i was young you know what i'm doing is not indian enough or the wrong kind of indian thing or or it's always it's always Native American criticisms of each other are always about how Indian is that. Right. How Indian is that? How Indian is that which what you are doing.
0: But you're forty nine and an accomplished now. Yeah. You're not thirteen.
1: Yeah. Oh uh, you never stop being thirteen and twelve. You never stop being you never stop being every age that you've ever been.
0: That's a good quote. But what I mean by that is not to not to not to take down from your great poetic quote because it is poetic and beautiful, Sherman. But when you do get those criticisms, I I don't imagine you just just just, just taking them.
1: Uh, they hurt, right. and I, I and I I'm responding now in a way, but not specifically, right? Because because why? It's boring, hmm? and the thing is. Me engaging with that makes it seem like it's legitimate criticism.
0: But it is. You're hurt
1: by it. No, makes it seem like it's important. Huh? It's personal, and it's important to me personally. But in terms of advancing the yeah. art of Native American literature, our criticism is archaic. Mm-hmm. Um, we're having the same conversations about Native American literature that, that we had in 1987. Mm the critical apparatus inside the native american intellectual community has been having the same conversations since i started yeah so, so by me engaging in it it sort of legitimizes archaic notions of criticism but yeah i mean have you have you pointed that out yeah and they say and then they say well that's not very indian of you to say or some other you know archaic way of thinking about it i, I don't uh, know how you don't just you're a better person than I am. Uh, and and well, I mean, I'm not a better person than hardly anybody. Serial killers I'm better than. <laughs> Dictators I'm better than. <laughs> <laughs> I have a low bar for being better than. What, what why do you do that all the time?
0: <laughs> why are you, why are you putting yourself down so much? <laughs> because is this is this what, what's the point of this?
1: Uh it it's a way of moderating my own behavior. Hmm. Be sus- oh, number one rule is be suspicious of yourself. Right, but and, and I'm two. highly suspicious of myself.
0: The number two rule should be don't hate yourself.
1: Well, I don't hate myself. Right.
0: You don't have to put yourself down all the time.
1: Well, yeah, I, I kind of need that. <laughs> I'm addicted to it. Although my uh, uh, my therapist once said to me, "Remember, Sherman, that self-loathing." is just another form of narcissism
0: yeah it totally is <laughs>
1: <laughs> i have a good therapist she retired i've been trying to find a new one for Wait, years really how yeah. long did you go for she and i were together for 12 years and then and then she retired because she got old
0: i know but now were been, you like hey can i just come over for
1: tea like can uh, we please st- nope that's not how it works you don't decade. become friends with your therapist i tried and that you shouldn't, and your therapist and shouldn't have. No, it didn't work at all. Yeah, exactly. Oh, it didn't
0: work. Oh, he was good. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he was good then. Yeah, he was. And good. she was great.
1: Yeah, we. Uh,
0: yeah, did she, you try? No. But you like, you wanted her to like you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think she did. Yeah. It's just, who knows that? Right. And in fact, I've kept. I know where she's at. I've kept tabs on her in her in her retirement life. Okay. I've Let's, never contacted that's,
0: her. That's, that sounds almost.
1: <laughs> well yeah serial
0: killer there so well now, now you're back to this i'm just killer.
1: aware i'm just aware of i'm aware of where her, she is and what she's her, doing in her Her, retirement her coordinates life. okay yeah and and not like her personal stuff i'm just aware right. of when she does professional things in her retirement because uh-huh. she just doesn't individually counsel but she does other things mm-hmm. she teaches people how to counsel
0: right so how long have you not been going to therapy?
1: No, I've been going to therapy. Just going to different people, trying to find the one. How long has that been going on? Uh, five years. Oh, fuck. that's yeah. hard. Yeah, and what? it's impossible. It's, it's. I'm doing that thing too. It's a romantic thing, right? Of, of nobody lives up to her. Right. Did okay. you have that with a girl? Uh, no. No? no, I never did that with a but really? romantically. You did
0: it with a therapist, but you didn't, didn't do, it with, do it romantically. <laughs> with a partner.
1: Uh, I mean, <laughs> in fact, I don't even believe in that as in terms of romance. Really? That whole you know, love of my life thing? Yeah. Seems, that whole soulmate
0: thing? Seems unlikely.
1: You know, I have a poem about that. I don't think I've ever published it, but I was flying into uh You want to recite it? I I don't remember have it memorized, <laughs> but I was flying into LA and I was pondering my my wife had sent me an email about a friend of hers who was saying that, saying yet again that she'd met her soulmate. Oh, She's met her soulmate yeah, many that, times. That friend, right? Yeah, and uh, that whole term just kills me. Just the soulmate kills me. Guarantees divorce. And, uh... <laughs> a lot of things guarantee cause you, divorce. Cause you, I mean, because you can't, you know, you know, you, can, you can't really shit in the same toilet with your soulmate. <laughs> and, uh... And, uh... uh and, uh... So I was flying into L.A. and it, L.A. is so huge and there's so many lights, street lights, house lights. Yes. So as we were coming down, I started thinking, doing math, and I thought, what you know, there are. I was probably seeing twenty mil, the lights of twenty million people as I came in. Yeah. And I thought, okay, ten million women. Right. And I thought, how many of those women would I find physically attractive? I'm very egalitarian. Out of those ten million women, I would have bet. Eight million. Eight million? Yeah, I would find physically 80%. attractive. 80%. That's good odds. Yeah. And, and then I think, but how many would find me physically attractive? Less. <laughs> Significantly less. So I said, okay, there are probably two million women on the flight path that would find me physically attractive enough to think about romance with.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Out of that two million, how many have, are married? One million. Uh So there's one million. How many are romantically involved otherwise? Another 500,000. So I'm down to 500,000 single women. Uh, If I were single, hypothetically, 500,000. Okay, there's 500,000 women in this area. That's a lot. Yeah, that are, that are, and how many would be compatible? How, let's say uh, they'd have to be book readers. I'd say so. How many of well, them are what, serious
0: what, book readers? What are compa- Besides that, what is compatible? But that'd be the number one.
1: But that would be. Is number one for you book? Oh, th- yeah, books. Bookish? bookish? Bookish. Bookish. Number one by far. Any, before anything else? Before anything else. Okay. Bookish. What's number two? Uh, funny.
0: Three? <laughs> Height. Okay, we can stop there. Yeah. Okay. And uh, so uh, now now there's so the 500,000. Now you got to go down.
1: Bookish. And I'm thinking probably what? Fifty thousand would be bookish enough that's, for that's me. That's generous. That's yeah. generous. Fifty thousand would be bookish. Yeah. Okay. So fifty thousand bo- women who I think bookish. I mean, so it ends up being fifty thousand. And how many of them? So I, and I'm. Could I possibly meet even randomly? Right. Yeah. So what it came down to me anyway. I didn't. There's more. It, it, it was a long a equation man. in my head, yeah. and this poem is all about this. And it came down to that in the Los Angeles metropolitan area are one thousand women I could spend my life with. That's how many. Yeah. And then add that to, you know add that to Chicago, Miami, New York, DC.
0: Mm.
1: So in the country, there's probably. 30,000. But how do you, do you find them? No. You found someone. I found one of them. Mm. And I'm incredibly lucky. What age did you find her? Uh, I would have been, it was in 1992. So I was 27 years old. I got incredibly lucky. I found one of them. What was the first meeting? I saw her in a chapel with. with in a chapel? Yeah. In a chapel with, uh, with sunlight streaming through a window. What chapel? Whitworth College in Spokane. Oh. Huh. She was in the front of the chapel and I saw her in the light and I knew. Really? Yeah. That quickly? Yes.
0: It's strange, you have these very um benchmarks. Like you remember the moment where you read this book, you know? And and the the book of poetry and I had to become a writer. You just say you knew you were gonna marry this girl. Yeah. She didn't know. <laughs> well, that's awesome. another It's like, well, what, what if you really believe that, and then she's like, nah I don't think so."
1: It could have I, it easily. Could, it could, could have have, easily right. come out that I was not one of her one thousand. Right. Could have easily happened that way. Mm. And was it easy right away? No, no. She, she. I had to. She was dating another dude at the time. Right. And you worked at it. I had. To, I had to win. <laughs> you see this as winning? I won her heart, man. old fastened. Yeah. Jane Austen shit.
0: Yeah? Yeah. Did you write letters?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, at all cultures and at all times, the guy who can write poems is going (laughs) to (laughs) win.
0: I think that's a universal truth.
1: Exactly.
0: (laughs) You have an unfair advantage over most people, I would say.
1: Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So, um... You know, the goal, when you talk about diversity, when you want more diversity in books, when you want more diversity in art, when you want more diversity inside of movies and TV, you know, I think some people get confused. Brown people think, we're, think we we think it means, I think it edges into superiority sometimes. Hmm. Like the idea that we don't want, or not superiority, they want the extraordinary, you know, I want heroes when really we just want to be as ordinary as everybody else. Hmm. We want – I don't want my characters to be exotic.
0: Right. Or described as exotic. Yeah.
1: I want – and I think that's one of the the great things that's happened in my career is that over the course of two decades, I think my fans read me because they want – certainly they want to read about natives. That's part of it. But really, it ends up connecting to them in all sorts of right. ways.
0: That's how I discovered you. I didn't yeah. I didn't think about – I want to know about Native Americans. No. I just was given a book. I was told it's funny and good. And I said, okay.
1: And that's where we want to be is to where we're just – I mean, where we're part of the whole landscape of possibilities.
0: Mm-hmm. And do you think you're inching closer I, and, and closer I, I've to I've gotten
1: that? lucky. I'm, I'm, I've gotten incredibly lucky that I have a lot of fans where I'm, I'm – they love my work and my nativeness is in their minds as it should be. But there's also all sorts of other things in their minds. They need me for different reasons than that. The idea – I mean I think the big thing is for most of my career, it's been the way I write about my father. And my relationship with my father, the Mm -hmm. relationship with the men in my life. Uh,
0: How would you describe that?
1: Painful. Yeah. (laughs) Failed father. Writing about the failed father. And in my whole career, I think that's been the strongest thing that people have responded to. Right. Uh,
0: And now you're a father.
1: Yeah. And I don't think I'm a failed one. We'll find out eventually. But uh, uh, because – so – Going back, some of my native critics think when I write about a failed father, I'm writing doing racial or ethnic stereotypes. And they never even, they can't extrapolate that some white person who has a shitty father is reading me, not because I have a shitty Native American father, but because I have a shitty father. Right. That they're reading me because we share that relationship and that because I'm native, it's a different way of looking at it. It expands people's worldviews of looking at the universal failed father universal. Yeah. I'm a white person. I'm going to read about a native American version of it and expand my ideas about it.
0: Why do you think it's universal?
1: I I probably have to get biological determinate, get all Darwinian about that. Go ahead. And, 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 uh, we have too much sperm, men. <laughs> you think that's the reason? I think at the very root of it, it is, and then it becomes cultural. An
0: excess of sperm.
1: Yeah, the biological. I mean, yeah, we're still animals.
0: Uh huh. And so, how have you been doing as being a dad? I mean, have you actively working on being having big... less
1: sperm? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, let's go with that. Yeah. Well, the,
1: uh, I got fixed. Did you? Yes.
0: When did that happen?
1: Uh, gosh! Oh my gosh! Uh, I mean, uh, fourteen years ago.
0: Holy cow! And you just decided it had to, yeah, be done, had to be done.
1: Yeah, I don't want any more. Right. We didn't want any more. My wife and I, and I, and, I, and regardless, I didn't want any more.
0: Right. Two.
1: If she hadn't, she and I had never worked. If she and I hadn't worked out, I would don't want any more.
0: Mm. Has parenting been difficult at all?
1: Uh not. In any extraordinary way. Hmm. Uh, Not in any earth shattering way. Right. But Uh, I mean,
0: do you ever think um, being like my dad here?
1: uh, Well, my dad was absent a lot in my life. And currently I'm talking to you in a little room in in Berkeley. Berkeley, And your family's in. hundreds of miles away from my family. Right. So, yes. I mm. think about the distances I travel in my job in relationship to my father's absence in our lives.
0: And do they perceive you as being absent?
1: I tell them when I'm coming back, right? And I come back. And then you they go. know they know when I'm supposed to arrive in the house. And I always arrive when I say I'm going to arrive. Mm. I think it's the open-ended absences that are very different.
0: Right. And so how do you reconcile with that?
1: I don't. Oh. I won't ponder and worry and wonder.
0: What are you worried about? And my about?
1: kids have had their own therapist for years.
0: Huh. Do you worry that they don't think you're a good dad?
1: I don't think they think that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what are you worrying about that?
1: Uh, my own pain and agony influencing the way I think about myself. I know that. I think I'm a... A minus dad. That's,
0: that's like an Obama.
1: Yeah, me and Obama. I've governed my... I've been a father like Obama has been a president. <laughs> Mostly good. <laughs> Mostly good. <laughs> you know, drone killed to fill people, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think we can
0: end on that. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this, Sherman. Oh, thank you, Sam. Well, there it is. Thanks again to Lisa Moraletta at Little Brown Books for Young Readers for helping arrange this interview. Another big thanks to Helena Brantley at the Bay Area Book Festival for providing a very pleasant recording space. You can purchase Sherman's first picture book, Thunderboy Jr., now on Amazon and probably at a bookstore near you. And lastly... One final special thanks to Sherman for coming on episode 10 of Talk Easy. People. If you're listening right now, do be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes and SoundCloud or your favorite podcasting app. If you want to drop us a line about anything, please feel free to email the show at talkeasypod at gmail.com. You can also follow the show on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at Talk easy Pod. And lastly, if you have a spare moment in your hectic and crazy day, please do consider giving us a review on iTunes. Our theme music is provided by Vanilla. Our executive producer is David Chen. Graphics by Ian Jones. Technical assistance and photography by Garrett Frisbee this week. The show is produced and edited by Corey Attad. I'm your host, Sam Frigoso. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week.
1: People. People.
0: Enter now at tmobilecom mobilecom unconventional awards See you there.
1: It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at. Like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia movement that inspires call 800 334 q for details always dive safely sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only
0: quantities are limited must take delivery by 7824
1: i'm alex schwartz i'm nomi fry i'm vincent cunningham and this is critics at large a new yorker podcast for the culturally curious Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts.